the best way to create things for people with disabilities is to have people with disabilities involved every step of the way. There are so many people in product, uh, whether it's product managers or developers or designers that have disabilities that could give you perspective and be your co-collaborators and co-designers every step of the way. Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day, they built for hours and hours but didn't ship and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and earned the money they deserve. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth. Wealth of time wealth of impact, wealth of family and relationships, as well as financial wealth. True wealth is what I'm really all about. And this journey has been full of ups and downs for me. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa with no money, no connections, only hard work, persistence, and even more hard work, to a European Ivy League business graduate and an expert on seven different psychological therapies with a great corporate job. Still, I've lost everything twice, but I refuse to give up. So now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. On this podcast, I'm privileged to interview hundreds of amazing people. From members of the Forbes Technology Council, Google executives, Amazon, Microsoft, LinkedIn executives, to Financial Times reporters and people from Harvard University, Cambridge, Stanford, even from the Vatican Church, congressional candidates and decorated veterans, or just beginners wishing to make a difference in this world, all are welcome here. And thank you. Thank you all so much for the support. After all this hard work of publishing a new interview every day, this podcast now is ranking highly on Apple in the entrepreneurship category, top 200 in San Francisco, top 100 in Australia, top 100 in Singapore, top 60 in Germany, top 50 in Canada, top 50 in the United Kingdom, and top in many other places. So please, Share this podcast with one new person today, because when they listen to this podcast, they'll be in very good hands. And if you are interested in my marketing consulting or podcast mentoring services on how to use podcasting as a powerful tool to research and find your perfect product market fit, send me an email to mentor at storybonding.com or on Twitter at NoCodeWealth. Let's begin. My guest today is Soren Hamby from Cornell University to Maryland Institute College of Art, from being an ADP list mentor to a design fellow at OnDeck and now a lead product designer at Mission Lane. Soren is an expert on inclusive design, accessibility, community management, and a human rights advocate. Soren, how are you today? 
I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy, honored, privileged, and wondering. Something important to ask is this. In your life, what could be one or two moments that really changed the trajectory of your life in a way things that were the moments that changed everything? If you can share one of two of those so I can understand you more as a person, that will be great. Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful question to ask people. I, I feel like for me, one of the really defining moments of my career and my life were was when I found out I was losing my vision and I would have to start using assistive technology to get around or to do things that I normally would have done by sight before. Uh, for me, that really opened up a lot of questions about accessibility and just like how things are created. And I have been used to, you know, being able to just use a laptop or to be able to use my phone without having to enlarge the text or uh, to use voiceover, which is a, a screen reader that on iOS that will read the, the text to you or will read images to you. And it was just a really big awakening for me at how the world is created and also how unusable it is and how difficult it is to make things usable. And uh, there's this huge community and I found a lot of companionship and a lot of um, camaraderie in this community and just a lot of uh, help. And I, I found that it was a very emotional experience for me as well as a big learning experience. And that just completely changed the trajectory because I became very passionate about both learning to use the technology and then also as I was learning to create for other people with disabilities uh, to both create for, uh, you know, like sight disabilities and also people that had other physical and uh, cognitive disabilities. So just being able to create the internet and apps for everybody. Um, so that's just one of the biggest defining moments, I think, in my entire life. Thank you for sharing that. And if I understood correctly, really, it's about realizing that moment that is almost like lightning striking and realizing that you're losing your vision, especially as a designer. I mean, it's even double a double whammy, if we might say. And then you notice how unusable many things are. And it was very emotional for you, but a good thing was finding a community of people sharing that same difficulty and therefore feeling that you're not alone and wanting to share that also with others who have disabilities to let them know that they're not alone, that there are people thinking of their needs. And in the process, you discovered and found out how difficult actually it is to design things that can be well adjusted and working well for people with disabilities. It's not easy. And therefore, it's something that you dedicated yourself to. Is this correct? Yeah. And I would also add that it's, it's a real thing that people could be educated about. And they could learn to create things that are usable and people that don't have disabilities can create wonderful things as well. 
I agree with you. And even before we dive into that, to you in that moment, seeing life from that different perspective, what did you appreciate more about life? What did you feel more grateful for? Like, how did it impact you on a psychological level? Oh, on a psychological level, I definitely appreciated what vision that I did have because when you lose your vision, you don't just go from you know light to dark, uh, some like everything to nothing. Uh, there's a spectrum between, and I just appreciated like every every bit of beauty that I had in between. I would definitely appreciate every glimpse that I had of, you know, my family and different things that I was able to enjoy. And I found a lot of of beauty in things like uh, being able to go places and, and people listen or, you know, like listen to music live and, and things like that, that I'm finding I miss a lot right now that we're not able to to do things, go to live events during uh, isolation during COVID. But um, I found that, you know, I really started to appreciate the parts of my job that aren't visual, like strategy and listening to people, doing research, uh, being able to, to organize things and do information architecture. So those sorts of things became more prominent in my work. And being able to mentor and and teach and share and write, all of those things became a big part of my life. And I began to appreciate those much more than I had before. Thank you. And to ask in a different way, I'm really curious about this, but some people argue that the voltage or the power or the energy of the brain doesn't really get lost when you have a disability, but it gets channeled into other senses. So suddenly you might find other senses of yours, maybe touch, maybe smell, maybe thinking, since in Buddhism, actually thought is considered to be the sixth sense, it's, it's the thought. It becomes much stronger and more developed. Did this happen to you? Did you notice it? Well, I don't want to discount other people's experiences with that because I'm I'm sure that other people have experiences where they feel like they rely more on their other senses or that their other senses might be heightened. Uh, I just found that it's very much like uh, when you are in a dark room that normally after you turn off the lights, it's very much like you can't see anything. It's very pitch black. But then after a while, your eyes start to adjust and you start to be able to make out the shape of things. Uh, So it's not so much that you are able to see better in the dark. It's that you become a little bit more sensitive and tuned to the sight that you do have. So in that same sense, I think we rely a little bit more on our senses, or at least my experience was that I relied more on the senses that I had. So I I began to put more energy into relying on touch and hearing to try to, uh, you know, like use those to compensate for the senses that I was lacking. So I, I think where you were going with like the energy of our brains, I think you put a little bit more energy into using those senses 
And so thus you, you put more sensitivity into them rather than um, them becoming more sensitive. So it's a little bit, uh, that was my experience at least, but uh, a lot of people think it's very much like daredevil where, you know, you start to be able to like map things in your mind, but if you're not very good with uh, like imagining spaces in your brain already, it's not going to magically turn you into daredevil or anything like that. So I didn't gain any superpowers, unfortunately. Thank you. And it's funny that you mentioned the daredevil uh, reference, but I want to take it back to the importance of educating people. And many of the audience, the listeners are designers and many are makers who are creating software or websites, etc. Well, if they don't have the ex- first-hand experience of a disability, how would you suggest that they approach design in a way that will be make it more inclusive and a good fit for people with disabilities? How should they think or practical ways to test it or whatever your process that you'd like to educate the world on to get more accessibility into what is being released, created, whether in the no-code community or outside? That's just such a great question. Uh, And I wish more people were asking it. The best way to create things for people with disabilities is to have people with disabilities involved every step of the way. There are so many people in product, uh, whether it's product managers or developers or designers that have disabilities that could give you perspective and be your co-collaborators and co-designers every step of the way. Uh, And just like thinking about starting with that ideation and discovery, uh, having somebody to chime in and say, oh, but hey. Uh, one thing that you may not know as somebody that doesn't have a disability is, you know, X, Y, Z. And just like starting from the very beginning uh, would save people going down a long and painful road. Like we've seen with a lot of big companies that have uh, social media platforms uh, that are just unusable for some people that have disabilities. Like, in very large ways that they'll have to do huge overhauls just because they didn't think about how will somebody that isn't like me use this platform. Uh, So it's not enough just to do testing or to listen to people after the fact. If you want to be truly inclusive, you have to have people involved from the beginning and uh, listening and having uh, people just even on your team is really the best way to do that. Thank you. That is absolutely wonderful. And it's known even in systems theory that if you build a system right from the beginning, that is the right way to create a solid system that works. But trying to patch whatever is built wrong with the wrong infrastructure and architecture, it will end up just being not as optimal or not working as well as it should. So I agree with you 100%. And since you have experience with communities and even community management, I'm really wondering what would be your best practices or advice for people also creating communities who might be listening to become more inclusive 
of those with disabilities. So they don't feel like outsiders, but they feel welcomed, embraced, and in a warm community. Yeah, so my best advice is to be listening and to not take things personally. Uh, having that that attitude of knowing that it's it's more of a research operation than it is a, a personal judgment on what you're doing right or wrong is is really a great way to go about it. You're just gathering facts about your product. And sometimes the product is that you're building a community. Uh, and sometimes you don't know everything that there is to know about the organic community that already exists. So when you're thinking about creating this uh, more uh, product-based and uh, structured community, you really do have to go in with the idea that you're you're going into an ecosystem of an organic community that already exists and that uh, anything that you do can disturb it. Just like when uh, we're like, treading into organic communities that exist in nature. So it's it's important to be respectful of that and to to not get uh, a lot of hurt feelings about if your expectations don't align. So going in with open open mind, open expectations and thinking about it from from that perspective and again going in and having people involved from the beginning helps you not to form those expectations around uh, what your product will be like before it's inclusive of other people. And I think that really is the best way to to create a community where or a product where other people are already included from the beginning. And it's, uh, it's a great way to make sure that everyone feels welcome and included and involved. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I agree with you as well as can you mention some of those communities? Because what if people actually want to immerse themselves in communities of people who are sharing, being vocal, and sharing their experiences with their disabilities, as well as their thoughts, maybe from them, they can uh, get some people to work and then be those advocates and uh, given the perspective of those who have disability on whatever is created. And maybe people don't know, they'll just go search in Google, like uh, communities for people with disabilities, etc. But since you might give more or a better indication, what is the right way or the right place to learn more, to find people who can be added to the team, the right people, and some communities maybe you'd like to share? Sure. So there's there's a lot of uh, some specialized hiring boards where you can actually just hire people. Uh, there's inclusively. There is uh, some different uh, like inclusive with a Z. There is some great Slack groups where if you want to just like learn more about inclusive design. Uh, there's some that are specific to products or community, but one of my favorites is actually built around uh, another product um, called Stark. So uh, you can sign up for the the free version of their product at getstark.co, and they have a link to their community Slack there as well. And there are 
uh, different channels there. And one of them is actually for folks with disabilities. And so there's lots of people there that would be great resources to ask simple questions. They also have a hiring board there. So if you're interested in getting people on your team that know a lot about um, inclusive design, that would be a great place to start. Thank you very much. And I noticed in your profile, you're a human rights advocate. Can you speak about what do you mean with that specifically? What are you advocating for? And how did that other part, which I assume is larger than um, only inclusivity, how did that come to your attention, get your emotion going, and become something you truly care about that you need to change and improve in the world for the better? Yeah, I really believe that inclusiveness doesn't just encompass access, but it also encompasses equity. So making things fair for everyone. And there's systemic inequities in the world as it's built. You know, we've had a lot of of things with, that people consider to be possibly political, but I consider them to be human rights issues. Uh, I, I don't think that it's political to say that Black lives matter or that um, Indigenous lives matter. I think that there's a lot of problems in the way that, uh, you know, like even tech education is set up and that tech representation is set up. So I am a big advocate of making sure that, you know, like gender minorities and other underrepresented folks have access to mentorship and and have um, access to opportunities uh, and that they get training and that, you know, there's, there's just not the same access that everybody has. And so it is kind of an accessibility issue. There's a lot of um, issues with even interviewing sometimes for accessibility with people don't really think about even just thinking about parents or um, single parents having uh, access to interview time. So uh, for me, it's something that I care about a lot because the deeper that you get into any one of uh, the groups that I'm in, the deeper you realize that these things are inextricably linked. We're all part of this community. And you can't really solve one problem without solving one of these other problems. And it's something that I'm very passionate about. It's something that I care very deeply about. Uh, so I I do want to solve some of these problems for myself, but I also want to solve them for the members of my community and the people that I care about. I love that. I support it and I agree with you. And to ask, though, from your experience or vision or thought, what are some ways to actually make a difference? Like what solutions can you begin to suggest, like the shape of it or uh, the bigger uh, lines of it, etc., in order to suggest something that will bring that equity? Yeah, I've been trying to enact that in my own writing and practice I give my time and uh, do mentorship and help people solve their their problems with um, upward mobility and job hunting and navigating interviewing and things like that. Uh, I think that there could be a lot more of that sort of 
acknowledgement of those issues for one, just acknowledging that that's a, that's a problem that, uh, that there is a difference in the way that people are treated. I think also that just changing the way that we think about hiring and the way that we think about interviewing would be a huge step. A lot of people do things like giving homework as a design test, and it's not very accessible and it's not very fair to folks that come from underrepresented or disadvantaged groups. And so just like stopping giving homework would be a huge way to level the playing field, making it so that you know interview processes are shorter. It takes a lot of time to interview for a design job. And so the more equitable we can make just even the interview process would be a big step towards making the design field more equitable for everyone. Thank you. And I noticed you spoke about your writing. Now I'm really curious about something. A lot of people are saying in these times of short attention span, writing just doesn't work anymore. I don't mean it in that way, that the attention is given more to shiny objects, to short videos in particular. And then, of course, when people are driving or running, they like podcasts and audio, but nobody ain't got no time for for long, uh, longer than tweets writing. Since you write, what is your perspective on this as someone in the trenches when it comes to writing? Is it more effective than doing videos, etc.? Or what is your perspective on writing in order to share your message in 2021? <laughs> uh, well, I, I would say I'd have to agree slightly uh, that people do tend to gravitate towards content that's a little bit more scrollable, like TikTok or Instagram reels. Uh, and it's a little bit harder to put out content when it's harder to edit it or it's harder to uh, come up with ideas. The easier it is to just, you know, like put it out, uh, the easier it is to produce a lot of content. Uh, and I, I will be honest that it's been a lot harder for me to be productive and to put out content outside of work in 2021 because, uh, you know, it just has felt like there's this, uh, this overhead of dealing with COVID and dealing with uh, the almost like anxiety that comes with all of the the feelings of of frustration and 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 um, just everything that comes with illness and and COVID. Uh, but I, I feel like you have to do what works for you. And for me, I don't feel as comfortable with talking on camera all the time. I like these more extemporaneous uh, doing podcasts and speaking at events, but I just wouldn't feel as comfortable putting out as much content this way. So I prefer sometimes writing and that makes me feel more comfortable. So if I would write more than I would put out videos, then I think that you know, there's lots of ways for people to consume content and there's lots of people putting out content. So you have to do what makes you the most comfortable. Thank you. I agree with you because it's not, it's about longevity rather than intensity where you can do what people say is the right thing. But if you 
you cannot really sustain it because it's not a, a good fit for your personality and what brings you joy, then over time it will stop and it's for nothing. While the thing that you can do for a long, long time, that is where the gold will be. I totally agree with that. And since you mentioned the pandemic and the emotional situation for it, well, there are a lot of studies that people whether they lost their jobs or even people with good jobs are mentally suffering during this pandemic. Entrepreneurs as well, minorities even more of all kinds. Well, did you find a way to improve your mental well-being, a way, a perspective, a practice, or any advice to any listener who might be going through those hard times and maybe they can get inspired by what you found out, as well as how did it feel? Like the pandemic, what was the dark moment? And then maybe you found some ways to lighten it up and bring a bit more joy into your life and a more balanced mental well-being. Yeah, I would say that there's definitely been some dark points for me. One of the best things that I did for myself was to, at those dark points, at least do a little bit of of planning so i would have some things to look forward to and and that's what works for me best is that i'm a real planner uh i i love making plans and that has always given me something to look forward to and in this time where it feels like we don't know when things will end just at least having something to say okay well Um, for non-binary people's day, I'm going to put together this list of great non-binary UX designers. Uh, That just gives me something where I can say, okay, well, now I can set myself some timelines and some goals. And like, it doesn't feel like this is dragging on forever. Like I have something tangible to look forward to and to, to actually like feel like I'm doing something productive, but it's not a huge, huge project. Uh, And this turned into a much bigger project than I had planned. But um, it was something where I was at this really low point, and I felt really terrible. And I felt like I hadn't really gotten anything done. But then I started making a list of all the things that I have gotten done. And I realized I really have accomplished a lot more than I thought I had. Uh, When I looked at like, all the mentees that I've met with and all the different projects that I had accomplished that really helped me to say like, okay, it's like a reverse to-do list. It's a to-done list. (laughs) And um, then also just talking with my, uh, my team and, and saying like to my boss, uh, like I am really struggling and just being like very radically honest and saying, I'm, I'm having trouble with my footing right now and like what can we do to to help me find it was was really really illuminating and they were just so supportive and I, I think that that also that touch of humanity and and having like these moments with my team of of brevity really makes a lot of difference because we can have these moments of of just like reaching out and almost touching through the screen and and laughing together and that really reminds me of of being together and I love working remotely 
it's brought me a lot of accessibility into my life because uh, it lets me have a lot of things that I couldn't have when I was in an office environment, like a lot of um, a lot of vision accommodations that you just can't get in a group environment. But uh, working in lockdown is very different from working remotely because I can't have people over to my house and uh, it doesn't allow me that easy access of uh, like having regular interactivity with people or being able to go out. So having uh, moments of, of joy and delight with people really make the difference for me. Thank you very much. And I noticed you're speaking about planning. And often when I speak with creatives or designers, they hate planning. They say that it kills their creativity. It's not for them. Leave the planning for the planners. I even ask some, do you use like ideation processes or design thinking? And they will mutter a little bit. And then they say, well, as a creative, I pride myself in getting ideas in the shower or something like that. <laughs> uh, so I don't want to kill my creativity through using processes, etc. So how do you combine and bring together both sides of you, the creative side that can be open to Eureka moments, as well as you said, you're a big planner, you love that. So how does it work? Yeah, I think I'm I'm kind of on the um, almost a, a pain in the rear end sort of uh, planner <laughs> end of the spectrum of designers uh, because I like to have a lot of expectations laid out and I'm totally cool with those expectations changing. Uh, so it's like um, I like to have the plans for the airplane, even if we're building the airplane in the air. <laughs> <laughs> and even if I have to end up like substituting a lot of parts, I, I like to know uh, what the plan is before we're going into it. So uh, I I really feel like the planning gives me excitement and the planning gives me uh, like a lot of ability to then brainstorm things because the planning gives me something to push against sometimes. The planning gives me something to test, though the planning even gives me something to say, oh, I don't even, I don't like this, uh, <laughs> uh, or this won't work. It gives me something to give to the user and say, and them say it won't work. So I, I really enjoy planning because um, it just gives me something different than just those um, fly by night shower thoughts sort of moments. I do enjoy those as well. And I feel like uh, a process of good documentation is is really helping me be more rigorous about capturing those before they fly away. Uh, but I've found that if I only rely on those, then my my process isn't as consistent. And uh, I struggle with sometimes being consistent because of having ADHD and it being undiagnosed for so long. So i put up a lot of frameworks like like planning and I, I really started to find joy in those uh, rather than just uh, just going off the cuff all the time and that's what really led me to love the logic and the rigor around data and design and uh, you know like code when that's what got me into doing UX uh, and and once I got into to that side of things, the the creativity just comes like really easily, and 
that I don't have to worry so much about because I can spitball ideas all day, but making sure that the results are consistent and that, um, that all of the ideas are, are of good quality and that we only present like good metrics and things like that. Um, and then some of the ideas stay, stay out of the, the brief, like it's, it's really knowing about like what to bring forward and, and that planning really helps me with that rigor. So I think, I think that's, that's where I get the, the planning from. Thank you very much. It's really cool. So if people want to read your writing, discover more about what you're up to, the projects you're involved with, what are the best places, websites, social media, etc., to go? Yeah, you can find links to all of my social media and information at soren.oo. That's S-O-R-E-N dot O-O-O. Perfect. And I like to finish with some like lessons or advice or something that will apply, of course, to yourself as a reminder, but would be good to be heard in the world. What do you feel and your heart feels would be a good thing to share right now that can touch the hearts of the listeners and maybe give them a new perspective or a reminder or something that will add even 1% of positivity and to their lives. Yeah, I think it's it's a really good idea to take a moment to yourself every day, even if it's just to pretend to commute, to just sit down for a minute and uh, do something that you really enjoy for, for you know, like five minutes. Listen to uh, your podcast or, or some music. Uh, take a moment to have a cup of tea and, and just uh, be still for a moment. I've taken to sitting down and pretending that I'm on the train and listening to a podcast or music for about 15 minutes. And I've found that it really adds a lot to my day. So I think that taking time to yourself uh, with no one else around is, is sometimes really, really key to happiness. I agree. I thank you for that. It's actually really good. And it doesn't mean to be take time, 15 minutes for yourself to scroll down TikTok. <laughs> That's not what we're <laughs> talking about. Because some people might say, well, I take time for myself when I'm scrolling TikTok, but that messes with your brain. So take time where you listen to yourself, you feel yourself, you be with yourself. And that's wonderful. Soren, it was my pleasure. I'll make sure also to write your Twitter. And my Twitter is at NoCodeWealth. It was my privilege, my honor, and I wish you a great day. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.